Hello, this is Carrie Bajaj, and today we'll be mapping baby sleep on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-minute matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Carrie Bajaj. Carrie is a holistic baby sleep consultant and the author of the best-selling book, Sleep Baby Sleep, which was published by HarperCollins India in 2020. She previously worked for five years alongside renowned functional medicine doctor, Dr. Frank Lipman, as a health coach in his New York practice. Carrie, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm so excited to reconnect with you. Thank you. Great to be here. So Carrie, at the Functional Nutrition Alliance, we like to say that sleep, poop, and blood sugar balance are our non-negotiable trifecta, meaning that if those are not in place, it's hard to engage in the building blocks of health. And baby sleep, as many of us mamas know, is one factor that can severely disrupt mama's sleep, becoming an upstream instigator for many health issues. And that's why I wanted to speak with you today, Carrie. Why did baby sleep become so important to you? Well, first, because I had two babies and I had them back to back. They were, you know, two kids under two. So I learned in real time how to manage their sleep. They were both very different sleepers. But with both of them, I kind of held the vision. My husband and I both held the vision that we would figure out how to help them sleep well, because we knew instinctively that that was really important for them and for the whole family. And then I moved to India when my youngest was six months old and the older one was like two years old. And I just found that as I made friends and put the kids in school and kind of met other moms, that certain things about our sleep routine were really considered unusual. So our kids were sleeping from roughly 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So that early bedtime was just a little shocking to people. And the fact that they were sleeping happily and sleeping through the night and kind of getting such a long stretch of restorative night sleep, I just ended up getting a lot of questions about it. And from there, I got really fascinated by the whole topic. 
Mm, I love it. And as you're talking, Carrie, I'm kind of thinking about how some of what I did might have aligned with what we're going to talk about today without me even knowing it as a mom, you know, almost 21 years ago with my little one when he was going to bed early and pretty much sleeping. I think by the time he was out of my bed, he was sleeping through the night. So what are the reasons that littles don't sleep? Why are they not sleeping? I think that sometimes there is a really important piece of the parental expectation or the parental mindset of what is possible for the baby. So obviously, as newborns, they're up throughout the night. And, you know, when my babies came home from the hospital, the doctors were very clear that we had to proactively wake them up through the night to give them feeds. And I think that is sometimes parents do not get taught by their pediatrician that you don't need to do that forever and that they can start sleeping for longer and longer stretches through the night. Honestly, I've met parents that literally didn't know that they don't have to wake up the baby every three hours after you know the first month or two, and they continued that practice. So there are things like that that happen. Some of it is just kind of learning what to expect through the first couple months of the baby's life and learning about the stretches of, you know, the longer stretches of consolidated night sleep that are possible. And some of it is just like a very loving parental mindset that we have to make the baby fall asleep. That's a phrase that I hear a lot, meaning that we rock them to sleep or we feed them to sleep. Whereas it is possible to kind of take on the role that we have to help our baby get ready for sleep and then the baby can fall asleep. Talk into that distinction a little bit more because there's that notion of letting a baby cry to sleep, but what's the difference between what you're talking about in terms of readying them for sleep? So basically, as parents, like I always think of bedtime that it should be a happy time of the day and it should be very rhythmic and kind of ritualized, you know, that we're kind of following the same steps every single night. And of course, those can change over time, but that you have your routine in place. It might be that they take their bath, maybe they get a little massage, they get into nice cozy pajamas, they may have their bedtime feed, and then you might do something else after the feed instead of feeding to sleep. You might like read a book or say prayers or play some songs, some lullaby, And so then you've kind of done your part of getting the baby ready for sleep. And it's been really cozy and connected and rhythmic and peaceful. And everyone feels good. You know, the attunement is high. And then it can be kind of like, boop. And, you know, you could set the baby in the crib or the cot or, you know, whatever their kind of safe sleeping space is. And you can let them sort of wiggle around and rock their head from side to side or even put their fingers to their mouth or do whatever they do. Some babies will hum or sing or babble and kind of take that step back as a parent and let the baby fall asleep. 
It sounds so loving and nurturing and also has the benefits of training for something that is lovely and that you do get to do on your own. We all fall asleep on our own. When we're thinking about stages of baby life, can you bring us into where you talk through, like you said, that first month or you don't need to wake up at a certain time after a few months. What's that look like in terms of the sequencing of time? So basically, the overall thing that's happening is there is a lot of consolidation that happens. For example, when the newborn comes home, they don't know the difference between day and night. They'll have the day-night confusion. And, um, you know, their body is not producing melatonin on its own yet, although they would be getting some through breast milk. So there's a lot of changes that happen. I would say the framework that I use that can be really helpful for parents is talking in terms of wake windows. And wake windows are the amount of time that the baby is awake for any stretch during the day when they wake up in the morning until their first nap and then kind of all of the subsequent awake times after the subsequent naps. So when they're really little, the wake windows are really tiny. If we're talking about like, let's say like a seven week old baby, those wake windows might be 75 minutes meaning they'll wake up from a nap and take a feed, get burped, maybe play on the floor, maybe go outside for a little bit, but they can only handle being awake for 75 minutes and then they can go back down. This is the piece that I really love teaching because I really didn't understand it with my first daughter. And I think it made my experience of early motherhood so much harder than it had to be because I would just take her out for long walks and then she would be in distress because she needed to go back down for sleep. So then as they get older, the wake windows get bigger. So our four-month-old babies can probably handle being awake for like an hour and a half or maybe an hour and 45 minutes. Then as we keep going through the months, the wake windows get bigger because we're also reducing naps. Right. So, you know, they may be on three naps until they're about eight or nine months old. So at that point, the wake windows might be like two and a half hours, but then we drop down to two naps. When we drop down to two naps, then we get bigger wake windows. And I find that when parents get those right, when they kind of follow the age appropriate wake windows, Everything flows really beautifully from there because we are not letting the baby get overtired, but we're also doing the other important part, which is kind of building up the beautiful amount of sleep pressure that they need to have a nice nap or, you know, to kind of have their consolidated night sleep. Mm, I love that reframe, Carrie. It just brings us into looking at the wake cycle instead of focusing on the sleep cycle and looking for something or chasing something that isn't necessarily attainable. Is there something in the environment that we should be doing to support that restful sleep and that nurturing aspect of falling asleep? 
Yes. And I love working with families on this because it's another really gentle tool that we can bring to our babies by setting up an optimal sleep environment and kind of optimizing everything for their deep sleep. So a big one is dark curtains, like using blackout curtains and just making sure that the room is very dark. I find that this can help us with the early rising. You know, most of us don't want our babies to start the day at 5 a.m., Making the room super dark, you know, it can help us kind of push through and get to the more like reasonable wake up time for the morning. Another one is white noise using the white noise or the sound machines. I find that those can be really helpful, especially if we're in kind of like a joint family or You know, like so many of us were working from home this year, and we just want to help the baby by kind of drowning out the rest of the household noises and giving that kind of backdrop for their sleep. Another one is um, when they're newborns that we want to have them swaddled, we use the swaddle. And then once they start rolling over, it's not safe to be in the swaddle anymore. And I think a lot of people don't know this, but then we really want to switch over to using a sleep sack. Those are the ones with the zipper up the front, but the arms are free. And the reason that's so important is because it keeps the baby warm. Up until I think like a year, it's not safe to have the loose bedding, the loose blankets. So the sleep sack is safe and keeps them warm. And a lot of times if baby is waking up super early, like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., a lot of times it is because they're cold. The diaper is wet and it's heavy and they just get a little cold. So by zipping them into the sleep sack, it will help them through those early risings. Great tips there. When we think about the transitions, what we know from a functional nutrition perspective is how much of the immunity is developing in those early months and the gut lining, the permeability of the gut lining, it starts as fairly permeable. The bacteria is different. You mentioned melatonin not being in production in those early days or months. Can you talk a little bit more about how that emerges over time? Babies will start producing melatonin around six weeks. So before that, what we can do is we can just sort of send that message about the difference between daytime and nighttime just through the environmental cues, but it will take the baby some time to catch up and, you know, for their body to really understand the difference between day and night. But you can certainly start from day one with kind of making things bright. You can keep the windows open in the daytime, keep the curtains open, everything's bright, cheerful, lots of talking, you know, letting them have some exposure to sunlight, natural light, be outside, all of that stuff you can start from day one. And then similarly at nighttime, you can make the house dark, quiet, boring. So you're just kind of sending a message that, you know, there's a difference between day and night. Daytime is very active and talkative and nighttime is very quiet and boring. And then, you know, within a few weeks, the physiology of their body will also catch up. 
So it'll be easier for them to get sleepy at nighttime as well. So Carrie, we will link to your book in the show notes. I'll also link to some other resources on the benefits of sleep in general for us adults. I am wondering if there's something that you find in your coaching and counseling with other parents that are the biggest mistakes that we didn't talk into or some of the biggest challenges that you have to get over when you're working with other families? I think one mindset piece that I always remind people is that there seems to be this little element of guilt that parents sometimes have about wanting their baby to sleep well. And I feel that they don't need to have any guilt about that. I have worked with hundreds or thousands of families, and I've literally never, ever once met a family that I felt was selfish in the sense of like that they had selfish motivations for wanting their baby to sleep, you know, like that it simply never happened. People, they know deep down that sleep is important, but I think sometimes they feel like they want it for their own selfish reason, but no, it's sleep is healing. It's healing for the whole family. It's healing for the baby. It's a gift for the baby. It's a gift for the family. And I do think it's something to prioritize at some level, like you said at the beginning, you know, that we should not obsess over it. We should be patient with the baby, but we should help them and we should kind of nudge them onto a good schedule. Yeah. So well said. It's not about not wanting to spend time with our child. (laughs) It's about wanting to give them the gift of sleep and give it to ourselves as well. Thank you so much, Carrie, for joining me today and for doing the work to dive in with parents around the globe to support our babies to sleep better. Thank you. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 